You've heard the headlines. Get some perspective now with Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Good morning and happy Wednesday to you. We're going to jump right into the show with the state of Arizona being woefully underfunded in education to potentially paving the hallways with gold. The lead. Yeah, I don't quite know uh, if we're going the whole gold hallway uh, route with this, but we do know that new census numbers out last year show that Arizona is well below the national average when it comes to per pupil spending and education. Now, in 2017, we spent about eight grand a kid, while the rest of the country spends about twelve thousand. If this bothers you, you may have a chance to do something about it in the upcoming election. Two ballot initiatives are being worked on that would create a funding stream for schools, but these two initiatives are taking two very different approaches. Yeah, I mean, we've we've discussed plenty of times the uh, lack of funding, the underfunding, whatever you want to call it. And our our state legislature is not going to deal with it. Um, They still don't believe in this, which is fine. So you're going to go the ballot initiative route. And I would say these are competing initiatives, Pamela, but not necessarily. Agreed. They are they're concurrent because they don't come at the expense of, of the other. And it's it's possible that both of these initiatives could pass, which would impose taxes in some way, shape, or form, and generate revenue for education. So let's break down what the these two initiatives are. The one that you're probably most familiar with, because it's been around the longest, would be Invest in Ed. This was the initiative that they tried to get on the 2018 ballot, but was struck down by the courts. And this is the, for lack of a better term, simplistic viewpoint of it. This is a tax the rich to fund education. All right? This um, would be the, you know, if you make over X amount of Dollars that you would be taxed at a higher rate in order to properly fund education in the state of Arizona. Um, I'm not in favor of that. While I am in favor of creating a new revenue stream for our education system, I don't think that it should solely be on the backs of those who are wealthy. I think that we all benefit from it, having a robust education system. So I think we should all it's, it's pay for it. It's not just a rich thing. Right. I'm, that is why the second initiative oh, is one that I could get behind. Um, and, and, and this new initiative, and I say new because uh, it's new to me. I haven't heard more about about it until recently. And it would be proposing a one cent sales tax that would be 100% dedicated to education, potentially voting on this again on the ballot in November. It'd be called instead of like invest in ed, which is the tax the rich, mm-hmm. this would be a penny for education. And this proposal would replace and enhance the six tenth of a cent sales tax that was just extended. So, let me so we kinda, go from six-tenths of a penny to a full penny. So in essence, we would be increasing taxes or like your sales tax. Sales tax. Four-tenths of a cent. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah, I could get behind that. Well, and that is it, that is potentially going to um, raise, I want to say the numbers, somewhere around $400 million for education. And, and that to me sounds like the, again, if you're, if you're, State legislature is not going to, of their own volition, fund education back to 2000 and whatever levels or whatever, all these different things or bring it back or properly fund it. Then why shouldn't everybody share in the 
this is what it takes to fund education argument. I, I'm with you that the – and it's not a new penny. Again, it's four-tenths of a penny. Yeah, I think perspective is important on that. Well, I'm going to admit that the difference between six-tenths of a penny and a full penny doesn't not, sound like a whole bunch to me. But you know what? You're, and you're not going to notice. I honestly don't think you're going to notice. I think that's fair. I think it's okay, fair. Right? I don't know. I didn't know we had six-tenths of a penny tax for it to begin with. Well, okay. So that was Prop 301. Okay. And that, that was passed a while ago. But mm-hmm. why we bring that up is it was recently, I guess you could say, uh, extended by Governor Ducey. It was uh, it was passed in 2001. It was set to expire in 2021. And the governor extended it to 2041. Okay. So what this would do, and, and, and again, this is um, th- this is an idea that is is being put out there by Kate Brophy McGee. She's a, a state senator, and she's going to be joining us tomorrow to 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 dive deeper into this because I find this interesting, and this is something I could get behind, and it would create a permanent voter protected, constitutionally enshrined funding stream. For our schools. We need that. Again, you're already paying the six-tenth of a cent. What's another four-tenth of a cent to create this voter protected? Because the governor signed the extension. It's not voter protected. So this, because we would vote on it as the people, so to speak, mm-hmm. in November, it would be protected. And this is one, again, we, we all we all have skin in the game. The idea of just taxing the rich, it would pretty much double income taxes on a very small amount of Arizonans. And a lot of them are small business owners. But I, and the, the only problem is, as we've seen in the past, that tax the rich works. Uh, because it's somebody else's money. Somebody else's money. You, and you, I don't you, like that. People, I, I, listen, I don't think you should be able to ever vote for somebody else's money. You can vote for your own, but you can't vote for other people's. Um, here's something else, though. Both of these initiatives could pass, Right. I mean, there's nothing. Yes. There's no reason both it, of them it, could. It's quite possible. Now, here's the thing: you've got. Um, it's not like either or. If one passes, the other one doesn't. They are completely separate initiatives. They are, and the invest in ed. You know, you've got to get signatures and, mm-hmm, and, and things mm-hmm. along those lines. And, and uh, State Senator Kate Brophy McGee is uh, proposing this. Uh, th- this. This, you know, new a penny for education. We're going to talk to her later. Yeah, we're going to get her tomorrow tomorrow to be placed on the ballot. So there's still some work that needs to be done on them. But I think that there's a conversation that we need to have on this. And we want to have it with you on our open mic line. Which one of these initiatives would you more likely vote for? Or would you vote for both of them if they made it on the ballot? Because that's a possibility as well. Would you vote for the invest in ed, tax the rich? Or would you vote for the increase of a four-tenth of a, of a cent for the a penny for education? So invest in ed or a penny for education? Uh, give us a call on the open mic line, 602-200-2733, 602 200 2733. The open mic line is brought to you by Carol Royce Team. Your home sold guaranteed, or Carol will buy it herself. Go to carolhasthebuyers.com. I'm not trying to throw a curveball, but Brent also brought this up. What's that? What Brent said? The recreational marijuana initiative, mm-hmm. which we believe will be on the ballot. The In the initiative, 
a portion of the tax revenue for recreational marijuana goes to education as well. Good. You could have three initiatives that are all funneling money into education simultaneously. But does that not tell you the desire, the need, and the momentum that is pass, building? I, I got it. But when was the last time we had one, two, three potential initiatives you that are that. willing to... We've had- We've had plenty of initiatives in the past that claim to go towards education, and we always find out that it's never enough. The money gets siphoned off. Okay, and that and, and, and that is why. Again, I want to learn yeah. more from uh, State Senator Kate Brophy McGee on this because she's saying she's trying to help create a permanent voter protected, mm-hmm. meaning you can't divert that money unless we. The voters say you can. But you understand what I'm saying. How many times have you heard, oh, it goes for police and first responders. It goes for education. It's for the kids. And then police, first responders, and kids go, we didn't get any of that. I mean, I, I've heard that story before. I'm not saying she's not Ask her about truth. that. When we yeah. have her on tomorrow, but I've been I, want, sold this. I want you to ask her that. Yeah. Are we getting any closer to having witnesses in the impeachment trial? Again, it, it kicks off 11 o'clock our time today. We'll tell you what will be happening today. And will we actually hear from anybody who was, quote, in the room? Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Yesterday, the uh, defense, the White House defense, the uh, uh, attorneys for Trump uh, and spokespeople, for lack of better terms, wrapped up their arguments against impeachment. Mm -hmm. We now, today at 11 o'clock Phoenix time, will enter the question phase. The Senate impeachment trial enters a new phase today, beginning up to 16 hours of questioning from senators directed either at the House impeachment managers or the president's legal team. Now, the senators, they've been sitting in silence throughout this whole trial. They're still prohibited from speaking. They need to submit their questions in written form on paper slips. They will be brought to Chief Justice Roberts, who will then read them aloud in the chamber. Okay, so which will be interesting, too, because it's not (laughs) as though you're going to have Senator Lindsey Graham ask a question to the House managers, and then they get in this, like, back and forth. You have to write it down on a piece of paper and slip it to the Chief Justice. Well, those questions have already been slipped, so to speak. So you have both the prosecutors and defense in, in, in this case that have been able to prepare for it. Sure. And from what we're able to to decipher thus far is a lot of the questions are going to be also geared towards at least the, the, the Democrats are going to be trying to answer them in the regards of more witnesses. We need witnesses. We need that testimony. We need to have a trial where witnesses are actually testifying. We say the president did this. The president said he didn't do it. We now have somebody who worked for the president who said he did do it. Is that not worth at least getting that testimony. So this is coming to whether or not witnesses will be called in the Senate trial. Mm. Now, a vote on that most likely will not happen. I mean, at the earliest, it could potentially be Friday, Saturday. We have 16 hours of questions. By the way, thankfully, it will not be a 16-hour marathon. It's broken into two eight-hour segments, I'm led to believe. So that's the next two days. So that's Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. That's why I said Friday. Well, I'm just saying, but that's how you get to the 16 hours. And then we will see the rest of the story. Yeah, but in the next two days. Oh, God, what could happen? Right, exactly. (laughs) Because the pendulum (laughs) has swung, you know, to, oh, we need to have witnesses on Monday with the 
manuscript yep. of you know Bolton's book to a little bit more of a neutral stance yesterday to today, it has kind of swung somewhere mm. in between. Do we have the votes? Do we not have the votes as far as the Democrats are concerned? Because, you know, Mitch McConnell last night, they did, they did a whip vote last night. They wanted to see where they would be, the Republicans, on uh, witness testimony. And okay. they didn't have the votes to block it. Which they need 51. Which means, at least last night, there would be witnesses. Now, is that the case this morning? All eyes here are on four key Republican senators who will ultimately decide whether or not they call additional witnesses like John Bolton. But we are also closely watching several key Democrats from red states who are undecided and wrangling with this broader decision of whether or not to acquit the president, which is likely going to be a politically risky decision for them. Okay, let's get through one thing first, okay. all right? The acquittal, the acquittal is at the end, so to speak. The, the, the next hurdle. The last vote. Right. The next hurdle that the Senate has to get over is whether or not to hear witnesses. Mm -hmm. And and again, I just come back to I I don't know what John Bolton's going to say. I don't know what if that changes anything. But don't you want to hear it? Because this is a trial. The the most important thing that these senators are doing right now is listening. And this is the the most. Yeah, I do. (laughs) I I believe that. And. Like, the, like the, the most important thing they've ever been called to do is listen to the trial of an impeachment for the president of the United States. Don't you want to have all the information? So when you vote mm-hmm. to acquit or mm-hmm. you vote to remove whatever it may be, you can go back to your constituents and be able to answer why. Imagine is if they don't hear from John Bolton. And in March, John Bolton goes on a book tour. For the next which, 60 days. Which he will. <laughs> and he starts dropping all these bombs. And, and, and you're going to, what are you going to say to the people out there that like, you didn't even give them an opportunity to tell you this before you made up your mind. You didn't have all the information. Like, I'm a you, firm- And you could have. Listen, if right. something, the bombshell you didn't know about, you could say, well, I didn't know I didn't about know. that. But how will any of them be able to stand in front of a voter or in front of a group and say, I didn't know that John Bolton had testimony that might contradict what the lawyer said? I'm a firm believer in making the best decision you possibly can at this moment with the information that you have. My pro- but you're it, assuming they want that. I don't I, assume they want that. I think that there are. Well, I'm not as cynical as you. I think that there are those out there, Republicans who are true conservatives that, that want that information. Now, whether or not that information is going to change their mind I have no idea. I doubt it. I get back but I to do the, think that they want at least to hear what he I, has to say. I get back to the Jeff Flake comment where he said, if it was a secret vote, he thinks 35 Republicans would vote to impeach. If it's not a secret vote, zero will. Because, but we're not talking about a secret vote to right. impeach. We're talking about hearing evidence and witness no, testimony. But my, my point is, they know the difference between right or wrong. They don't care. There's a difference. <laughs> and you've got to wake up every morning, look at yourself in the mirror and say, that's all right. It's called integrity. And if they don't get reelected, yep. they don't care about it. And they're more worried about mean tweets than they are in any way, shape or form, even the assemblance of doing the right thing. What is um, what is going on down at ASU surrounding the coronavirus? What are people doing to try to protect themselves that probably isn't doing very much for them? We'll tell you about that coming up next on Arizona's News Station. 
Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. The coronavirus. We continue to have discussions about it. And and I, I say this like respectfully, Pamela. I don't think we're trying to incite fear or panic, but we are trying to bring some rationality to the discussion of the actual risk. Is the coronavirus real? Yes. yes. Is there a confirmed case in Tempe? Yes. Yes, there is. Um, is the coronavirus uh, uh, uniquely lethal? No. No, it, 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 it is not. Um, are your chances of contracting the coronavirus high or low? Low. Astronomically low. You have more chance of contracting the flu virus. The regular flu mm-hmm. or a cold or whatever. Which may I offer you, <clears throat> killed 60,000 people two years ago. Right. right now, the number of those who have died worldwide. Now, that 60,000 60, was in the United States. Just U.S. Okay, so I think it was 2017, 2018, the flu in the United States killed 60,000 people. Correct. The coronavirus right now has killed roughly 100 people worldwide. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not important to to look at. It's not, you know, there isn't a vaccine for it. Which they're uh, hoping to get this summer. It is taxing um, the medical, the health uh, system in China and other places. Which isn't so, very robust to begin with. Fair enough, right? But so there are genuine concerns. One of the things we learned, and we learned this yesterday talking to KTAR reporter Griselda Zatino was... That you can't buy a surgical mask. Forget Tempe, darn near anywhere in Phoenix. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are running out to you know the local pharmacy or the big box stores and getting these these masks. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you would fly at Sky Harbor, you may on occasion see one person with a mask on. Always Asian people. Okay, I've always seen uh, usually. Now, though, uh, when she was down on the campus of ASU, she found several students uh, wearing masks. Some of the reasons why students say they're wearing face masks. It's mostly just like precautionary. I want to be safe, not sorry. Just to um, protect myself. And they're selling fast at stores near the university in Tempe, Arizona. ASU student Daniel O says he got his from a friend. I know everything around here actually sold out, but I got mine from a friend. She actually stocked up on it while they had stocks at store. Meanwhile, health experts say there's no evidence wearing a face mask will keep you from getting the coronavirus, which is an airborne disease. Okay, so let's dive into that a little bit, because if you're hearing the reports that you can't get face masks, do you know what happens? Everybody wants to go get a face mask. Exactly. What does what what do they know that I don't know? Nothing. If you're flying at Sky Harbor or if you've got a student at, at ASU or if you work down there or in Tempe, do you need to have a face mask? The simple answer is no. No. You don't. No. So, so why not? Um, well, it, it it won't really help. I mean, when no. you're when you're looking at these face masks, usually what they do is they prevent you Correct. from spreading germs. It's outward. So they're good at at getting the spit. All right. So think about it. If you sneeze or if you cough, there are these like big droplets. I mean, when you sneeze into your hand or your yeah. elbow, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, that was too um, graphic for me. But you're feeling my flow, yo. You know what I'm talking about. It's going to stop that. It is the the smaller particle, particles, how this is 
potentially transmit it, you know, respiratorily, that it won't stop. So it does nothing. No. No, it, it is a. It gives you a false sense of security. Yeah, that's the is, thing. Is the worry that somehow that a surgical mask is like a, you're living inside of a bubble and you don't need to do maybe some basic precautions. Like wash your hands, don't touch your face. Here's something else that doesn't kill, stop, dissuade the corona, flu virus, regular flu, or Ebola. Hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the FDA just came down on Purell for falsely claiming that their hand sanitizer is going to protect you from disease like that. Wash your hands. That's what's going to help protect you is to wash your hands. And it's the cold and flu season that's preached every year at this time. So just get into the habit. But at ASU, you you have other developments that are taking place as well. Yesterday, we told you on uh, our broadcast that uh, ASU President Michael Crow has banned travel to China for yeah. faculty, staff and students. And you and I had like a question there. Like I get the faculty and staff like you, you can tell people, no, you're, you're not going. Well, you you want to work here? You're not going to China, and we're, and we're not right. going to pay for it. We're not doing right, any right. trips. Or how anything. do you enforce this with students? Yeah. And and I want to offer folks a little bit more of an explanation on that. Because at first we're like, oh, how does that happen? How can you tell a student where you can and cannot go? You can when it's these like travel abroad programs. I remember when I was at ASU, I really wanted to, to study abroad in, in Italy. I was taking Italian. Yeah, that's served me well in my life. Um, but the university-sanctioned programs that students could go on, I'm sure they've got them to China. They're saying, yeah, you know what? You're not going. Okay, so semester abroad, for example. So if if if, if you, though, choose personally to go home for There's nothing spring they can do. break, yeah, they, they have no authority over that. No. But the, the, the panic and... Um, I don't know if it's concern or panic, because I get the concern. I don't get the panic. Right. It's gotten to a level, though, where there was a hoax in in Mesa. I don't know. Did you see this story, Bruce? Where you had um, a story that was circulating that there were students in the Mesa Unified School District who have been diagnosed as having the coronavirus. It's, It's not true, folks. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. And I'm like, who does that? Who are you? To, to do, I mean, there is genuine concern, and, and I get the concern, but what you're trying to do is spread fear. Yeah. And I, I just, why? What do you get out of that? We'll, we'll continue to try to deliver facts for you and evidence-based and scientific-based stuff. Not and there's no coronavirus outbreak at Mesa no. Public Schools. Clear? Clear. Yeah, none. Zero. Didn't happen. So... How much time do you spend with your kids? Okay, now think of that time you spend with your kids. Are you actually face-to-face with your kids, or are you just hanging out in the same room? Staring at a screen, for example. We'll give you some of those stats. Coming up next on Arizona's News Station. Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. It's almost become a bit of a of a joke. We we roll our eyes at it, even while we're doing it. You see the family of four sitting at a restaurant somewhere, and mom, dad, two kids, 
and all four of them are, are staring at a screen. They have a phone in front of them, and my guess is they're not FaceTiming one another. Because we're finding out that a recent survey from the people that do surveys show that parents spend very little, call it face-to-face time with their kids. Yeah, if I were to ask you as a parent, how much how much time do you spend face to face with your kid on any given week? In a week, okay. um, I, I think that if you sit down and you start adding it up, you may be surprised to find out that on average, it's only five hours a week. Now, this is on average, so you're getting from when they're very very young. Which you are hands on. I mean, the only time that you're not with that child is when they're sleeping, which is a lot. But still, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. you get a lot of hands on face to face time with, with, with like, you know, a kid, a baby up to like 18. And, and what the study is saying is it's on average, it's around the age of 13 when kids start to avoid their parents. Parents teenagers. are not cool. I mean, it's teenagers, right? Yeah. These are things that we've heard before. So that's nothing new. But. What I thought was interesting in this study, Bruce, is that more than half of those mom and dads that were asked this question said that they feel distant from their kids. Now, why do they feel distant from their kids? Well, on one hand, they say that, you know, um, kids are spending too much time on the television, on screens. They're spending too much time in their bedrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, Too much time on the phone, which is dipping into that traditional family time. All of which are very real issues in the home. But I, I guess the question for me becomes, what do you choose to do about it? You're the parent. It doesn't mean you have to plop down on a beanbag in their bedroom and, you know, have heart to hearts every single day. But letting the child know that you are there for them, that you're connecting with them on a day-to-day basis and loving them unconditionally is what is going to help them. If they have a strong attachment and a relationship to you as the parent, that's going to help them in in their social circles as well. I found this interesting that um, when you talk to those very same parents who struggle with face-to-face time with their kids, the lengths some parents will go to. To try to connect. And I I have a smile on my face when I say that um, a bunch of them, about 20%, like learned how to play Fortnite so that they could spend time with their kid. Uh, Getting involved in your children's hobbies. Taking an interest in your kid's favorite bands or musical groups in order to try to bond with them. Even... And this is the greatest one. Trying to talk like them by using words such as dope and YOLO. Yeah, don't do that. I just want to say right don't now, if you're using dope no. and YOLO that's around gonna, your kids, that's gonna push the kid away. Going the, you're going the wrong right. direction. But I, I it's think, the antidote. I think it's great that there, there are parents out there trying new ways to to connect with their kids. Uh, Riley's 10. My daughter is 10. So she hasn't hit that like teenage year. And let me tell you, I fear what's coming. In, in just it's few, coming. I, I fear what, what that's going to look like in the next few years. But I genuinely try to create that time 
time in, in that space with her. I mean, I don't play soccer. I am not a soccer player. I have never played on a team. Right. It took me a year and a half to know what a goal kick was versus a corner kick. Okay. <laughs> okay. It, took, it took me All a right. hot minute to even okay. know. I'm like, what are they doing? And my but husband's like, know. oh, yeah, absolutely. You know. But like, you know, we'll go into the backyard and we put up two pop-up goals. And Riley is like, oh, I'm so going to make you. I'm so going to score on you. And I'm like. I'm bigger than her, so, you know, I just by brute force strength, I can, you know, overpower her. But there have been times where we both fall on the grass just laughing, and she looks at me and goes, Mom, this is the best. <laughs> and and it doesn't take much. No. Just to show up and be there. And 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 listen, my husband and I both work. Our time is, is, is precious. Um, there's not a ton of it. So sometimes just sitting down and just being present with her and, and talking and, and engaging her and giving her my undivided attention, I can see that it means a lot to her. You get a lot out of them. Um, it's a struggle, though, and I can concede that. I do think it's important that you do acknowledge, though, that FaceTime and sitting in the same room together are not Two the same things. things. Yeah. Hey, are you struggling with this? Are we speaking your language right now? Is this something that you're, you're, you know, in your car nodding along going, yeah, that's something that, that, that's happened in our house and I wish we could do something better about that. Uh, give us a call on the open mic line. You know, it takes a village. Help us out. 602-200-2733. 602-200-2733. Open mic line brought to you by the Carol Royce team. Your home sold guaranteed or Carol will buy it herself. Go to carolhasthebuyers.com. So count me as one who I try to make good decisions when it comes to food. And I'm very conflicted on these like beyond meat, artificial meat. You've heard about this, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Sold at fast food places. We've tried them on the air. Yeah. And and almost indistinguishable from a regular burger and we did, right? I would agree. But are you really making a healthier decision? I struggle with this and apparently so do a lot of other people. We're talking about it next.